I received an offer in the mail from a company called LifeLock. How many of you have heard of LifeLock? And of course, they were urging me to protect my identity and uh, to convince me that I needed their services, they included some alarming statistics. Did you know that one in three adults in the U.S. have experienced identity theft? And right now, on average, every two seconds, somebody has their identity stolen. How many of you have ever had like a data breach or an issue with your identity? A lot of us have. Now, notice the purpose of this company, relentlessly protecting your what? Your identity. Now, do you think that you need to protect your identity? Well, let me say this. If you're a Christian this morning, it is absolutely essential that you protect your identity, but maybe not of the way you're thinking right now. And if you're somebody who is, you know, checking Christianity out, you've got questions about what it means to follow Jesus, I would say this. It is absolutely essential for you to consider why you need a new identity and how you can get one. Today we're continuing our series called This Is Us, and we're looking at God's goals for the church, um, found in the book of the Bible called Ephesians. And today we're going to explore this idea that we have not just an individual identity, we have an identity as a church. And I want to begin with this question, why is your identity so important? And you just saw the answer that's on your outline. You live according to your identity. You live according to your identity. What you believe about yourself shapes your entire life. What you believe about yourself determines the choices that you make, the dreams that you have, the goals that you pursue. Your identity is so important because your identity determines how you see your potential. And everybody lives with a sense of their own potential. Think about this. Think about a child learning to walk. Now, that little girl is actually assessing her potential at this very moment, right? You can almost see the look in her eyes. Can I do this? If I let go of mom's hands, can I make it across the room and, and, and reach dad? And you see, that happens throughout our lives. We are constantly assessing our potential. Can I pass this algebra exam? Um, can, can I make the, the volleyball team at school? Um, a guy goes to Home Depot and says, can I really tackle this home improvement project? I'm not quite so sure. We're always assessing our potential. You know, a, a young woman stands at the altar and says, can I be a good wife? Or, or our parents look at this newborn child and say, can I be a good dad? Can I be a good mom? You see, as we face life's challenges, both big and small, we're constantly assessing our potential based on our identity. We determine our potential by what we believe about ourselves, and our assessment of who we are and what we're capable of doing shapes our entire life. Now, here's a very important question. It's on your outline. What is the basis of your identity? Let me go back here. I think we have... Okay, let's do this. Um, the question is, what is the basis of your identity? And there's a blank that you can fill in. It says, I am... and what would you write? I am what? Now, for a lot of guys, our identity is often connected to what we do for a living. And we know this, you know, sometimes a guy will say, I'm an engineer, or I'm a sales rep, or I'm a CPA, right? And for women, it's often connected to their relationships. I'm Bob's wife. You know, I'm a mom, I'm a grandmother, I'm a sister, all those different kinds of things. And I want you to consider this. As you face the opportunities and the challenge in your life, what is it that causes you to sometimes say this, I can't do that. It's too hard. I'm not even going to try because there's a good chance I will fail. 
Conversely, what is it that causes you to look at the same opportunity, the, the same challenge and say, you know what? I can do this. Yeah, I, I think if, if I really step into this, I could actually succeed. What is it that you use to measure your potential? I mean, really. I mean, is it the family that you grew up in? Is it your education? Is it your talent? Is it your intelligence? Is it your looks? Is it your health status? We can use all these things to determine our potential, but God says, I want you to use something else to determine your potential because you have a new identity, not just as a follower of Christ, but as a church family. So let's take a look at what God says about our identity and about our potential by beginning with chapter 1, verse 1 in the book of Ephesians. And it starts this way. Paul. Now, Paul's a follower of Jesus in the first century. He's writing this letter. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you were to ask Paul, hey, Paul, would you fill in that blank? I am, what would he write? Well, he tells us, I am what? I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus. An apostle is somebody sent on a mission. So Paul sees himself as somebody who is doing what Jesus has called him to do. And this is so important because for Paul, his identity is squarely based on his relationship with who? Remember, if you don't know the answer, right, who is it? It's Jesus. He's connected to Jesus, and that forms the core of his identity. And notice what he says, to the saints, to the saints. Now, who are the saints? They're not a football team in New Orleans, okay? They're not the little statues on the dashboard of the car in the front of the house. Saints are believers in Jesus Christ. And here's the point. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the core of your identity is your connection with, with Jesus. And see, that's not just true for us as individuals. That's true for us as a church. Look at this next question in your outline. It says, what is the basis of our identity as a church? Well, you don't have to read very far in the New Testament before you find these descriptions of the church. And we are called the body of Christ. We're the bride of Christ. So what does that mean? Well, our corporate identity is connected to who? To Christ. Exactly. And so as Paul goes on in this letter, he's going to point out the benefits and the blessings of being connected to Jesus, not just as an individual, but connected to Jesus as a church. Now look at these verses. He says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. How? What are the next two words? In Christ. Because we're connected to Jesus, we have these benefits and these blessings of God. Now here's what's really fascinating. As Paul goes on, he's going to point out that there is this amazing relationship between the church and each person in the Trinity. Now, if you're a Christian, you understand that there's, there's one God, and this one God exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And Paul's actually going to show us how our identity is connected to God the Father, and how our identity is connected to God the Son, Jesus, and how our identity as a church is connected to the Holy Spirit. And this is incredibly encouraging. So are you ready to dive in? Let's take a look. Here's the first thing I want you to see when it comes to your identity. We have been chosen by God the Father. We have been chosen by God the Father. That's true of an individual Christian, but it's true of us as a church. We have been chosen by God the Father. And this is what Paul says in verse 4. For he, that is God, chose us in him, that's in Christ, when? Before the creation of the world. Why? To be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, 
He predestined us to be adopted as his children through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he freely has given us in the one he loves. Let me ask you this. How does it feel to be chosen? How does it feel to be chosen? I remember, it's been quite a number of years ago, I was in a church and I was standing near the front. And there was a pastor here and I was, I guess I was there, and there was this um, really beautiful long, young lady who was my fiance, Christine Osborne. And so the, the pastor looks at, at Christine and says, do you take this man to be your lawfully wedded husband? And what do you think she said? I have to think about it. What, what did she say? What do you think she said? I do. I do. And you know, I remember how that made me feel in that moment. Chris has chosen me out of all the guys in the whole world to be her one and only husband. So how did that make me feel? Well, really important, right? And really special and really valuable and really loved. Because I had been chosen. And there's another thing I was thinking about this week as I was working on the message. When I was a, a kid, uh, we lived in Hialeah. And we lived one block from an elementary school. And almost every weekend there was a pickup game of some kind, depended, depending on what sport was in season. And, and you know how that plays out. You know, you pick two captains and they pick who's going to be on their team. Well, I have an older brother, his name is Jim, and uh, he has always been a really incredible athlete, so he was almost always a captain. Guess who his first round dra draft pick was every single Saturday? Who do you think it was? Yeah, me, his little brother. It, it didn't matter if I was the best choice, he would pick me, because that's what brothers do. And, and you know, this is how I would walk over to the... Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm with Jim, yeah, that's right, he chose me, right? Because how does it make you feel? It makes you feel valuable and important and, and significant and loved. And listen, Christian, this morning, realize that God has chosen you and me. He's chosen us to be a part of his forever family. That should make us feel so valuable and so special and so important and so incredibly loved. And I know this, um, that, that there are people that struggle with this idea that, you know, God has chosen us. I mean, what is that about? You know, God choosing certain people and not others. And if you were to say, well, okay, Pastor Dudley, why do you think God chose you? You know what my honest answer is? I don't have a clue. I really don't. God is sovereign. God can extend his grace to whomever he chooses. I read one time a quote by Mark Twain, and he said this, if heaven went by merit, you would stay out and your dog would go in. And I thought, yeah, okay, um, yeah, God doesn't choose us on the basis of our merit. He chooses us on the basis of his mercy and his grace. And I remember one time I was leading this, this high school Bible study, and this young lady um, asked me a question. I was talking about chosen by God, you know, as a part of his family, and she said this, Pastor Dudley, what if I want to become a Christian, but God hasn't chosen me? And I thought, that's a... That's an important question. And I said, well, listen, here, here's the thing. If you want to be a Christian, if you have a desire to follow Jesus, it's because God has chosen you. He has given you that desire. And here is what Jesus says. And let me quote Jesus. This is from John 6, 37. This is what Jesus says. Everyone that the Father has given me will come to me, and I won't turn any of them away. I mean, being chosen by God is a mystery, it's a blessing, it's something that should make us incredibly humble and grateful. And listen, when life gets really hard, 
and you're feeling overwhelmed and anxious and discouraged, remember this. No matter how hard your life is, no matter how hard your life may become, when you're a Christian, you have been chosen by God the Father to be a member of his family, and he will never leave you. Church, that should just make us so encouraged this morning. That is our identity. Together, we have been chosen by God the Father. But you know what? It gets even better. Because here's the second thing that we read in the book of Ephesians. We have been redeemed by God the Son. That's Jesus Christ. We have been redeemed by God the Son. Now, what does it mean to be redeemed? Let me see if I can answer that with a, a brief story. There was a little boy who had a dog, a little puppy. And he loved his puppy more than anything else in the whole world. And one day, his puppy ran away. And the little boy was heartbroken, so he, you know, searches the neighborhood, can't find his puppy anywhere. Finally, in a last-ditch effort to find his dog, he goes to this pet shop. And sure enough, there's his puppy in one of the cages in the pet store. And he goes to the owner and says, hey, that's my dog. And the owner says, oh, no, he's my dog. I found him. And the little boy says, well, listen, I, I, I got to have my dog. Well, what do you want for the dog? And the guy says, 20 bucks. And the little boy goes, man, that's a lot of money because, you know, he didn't have an income. So for two weeks, he did all these little odd jobs, and you know, $2 here and $3 here. And two weeks later, he comes back with $20, and he puts it on the counter. He says, okay, I want my dog. Let him out of the cage. Set him free because I'm taking him home. And that's exactly what happened. Now, that is a beautiful picture of redemption because to redeem someone or something is to buy them back. The, the word redeem refers to a, a ransom, a price that is paid to set somebody free, and that's exactly what Jesus has done for us. And that's what we see in verse 7. It says this, in him, in Jesus Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace, not because we earn it, not because we deserve it, because of God's grace, that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. I remember reading a story one time about um, a professional baseball player, Billy Sunday, who turned evangelist. And he was going to the city to do this evangelistic crusade. So he got in touch with the mayor. And he said, you know, if you could send me the names of some people there in City Hall, you know, that you work with, or just people you know in the city that have some, you know, serious spiritual needs, we'd like to be able to pray for them. And to his surprise, the mayor sent him the entire phone directory. Now, back in the day, that would have included everybody in the whole city. Why is that? Because everybody needs redemption. Every single one of us needs a savior. And that's the good news of the gospel, right? That God sent his son to be our savior, to be our redeemer, to buy us back. And why is that? Well, because we decided to go our own way. Our sins separated us from God. But because of God's great love, instead of saying, you know what? You're just going to have to suffer the consequences of your disobedience. You're just going to remain separated forever from me. No, God said, I'm going to do something. My son's going to come and live a perfect life and die on a cross so that you can be forgiven and have a new life by trusting him and following him. Remember, there's a guy named Dallas Willard, and he said this one time. He said, it may be a very bad thing that Jesus had to die for me, but it's a very good thing that Jesus thinks I'm worth dying for. Christian, listen to me. God thinks you're worth dying for. That's how valuable you are in his sight. And I hope that deeply, deeply encourages you. Because that's who we are. We're people who have been chosen by God the Father, people who have been redeemed by God the Son. And you know what? It still is better because there's a connection to God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And here's what it is. We have been sealed by God the Holy Spirit. We've been sealed by God the Holy Spirit. Verse 13 says this, And you, you believers 
also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel, the good news of your salvation, having believed the bad news and the good news, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So what is that about? What does it mean to be sealed by God's Spirit? Well, just this morning, I was in my office here, and I picked up a book. Um, it's by R.C. Sproul. It's called Surprised by Suffering. Now, if you just found this book lying around, and you wondered, uh, well, whose book is that? If you open the book up, there's a seal right here. These raised letters, it says, from the library of Dudley R. Hodges. So what does it tell you about this book? This book belongs to me because it has my what? My seal. It's right there. If you're a Christian this morning, the Holy Spirit lives in you. So who do you belong to? You belong to God. And this is an amazing truth. There is a mark of ownership, of authenticity. You belong to God. And I was thinking about the practical implications of this. I was driving in the car yesterday. And I was thinking about this, this big problem that I'm trying to solve. And I was starting to feel overwhelmed and burdened. And I'm like, what am I going to do? And it was almost like God tapped me on the shoulder. And he said, hey, sounds like you're having an identity crisis. Who are you? Oh, oh, oh yeah, I'm going to speak about this tomorrow, aren't I? I have been chosen by God the Father. I've been redeemed by God the Son. I've been sealed by God the Holy Spirit. That means that... Yes, Lord, you live in me, and now I have a new potential because I don't have to rely on my wisdom or my strength or my love or any. I can rely on you, and together we can do things that I never, ever could do on my own. That's true of every single one of us who trusted Jesus Christ, and it's true of us collectively. We can do things we never asked or imagined because God's Spirit works and lives in us. What an incredible truth that is, church. It really is. Now, I just want to take a moment to uh, point something out that I think is really, really important, and it has to do with something called DNA. Now, I sus suspect that almost everybody knows something about DNA, right? It's this um, genetic molecule that has information, genetic information, that's necessary for the development and the, the functioning of every living organism. I mean, there's DNA in every cell of your body, and in fact, your DNA determines your what? We're talking about this big concept of identity. Identity. So your DNA determines your what? Your identity. Now, here's the thing. Churches really have a DNA in a similar way. Things that determine their identity, and those things that determine their identity should be based on what? On Scripture. Now, I want to do this. I just want to point out four, four things that comprise the DNA of Boynton Beach Community Church. This is who we are. This is our identity. Are you ready? And I could take all day to go through this. I'm going to do it really fast. Okay, here's the first, because I get really excited about this. The first thing is this. We are gospel-centered. What is the gospel? It's the good news about Jesus, who he is, what he's done, what he's promised to do, what he's doing right now. It's the whole story of, of God's redemption of us. You know, there's a, a beautiful verse in the book of Romans. The apostle Paul says this, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for the complete rescue of everyone who believes. The gospel has has changed my life, has changed the lives of everybody who trusted Jesus Christ. It's the message of hope that we have for the world. It's the center out of which we live. And you've heard me say this before, and I believe this with all my heart, that the gospel is the ultimate solution to every problem that we face. So it would be good for a church to be what? Gospel-centered. Here's another thing. We are purpose-driven. Part of our DNA. Now, there was a book written by Rick Warren a number of years ago. In fact, he wrote The Purpose Driven Church before he wrote The Purpose Driven Life. But how many of you are familiar with that book? 
I know a lot of you have read that book, and it's actually just a, an exposition of Acts chapter 2, looking at the early Christians, that they had one mandate from Jesus. And in fact, you could say the purpose is, is this, make disciples. Be a disciple, make a disciple, and you do that in five different ways. In Acts chapter 2, it talks about outreach and worship and fellowship and discipleship and service. That is the grid through which we do ministry here in our church because we are purpose-driven. We want to make disciples. Here's another part of our DNA, family-focused. Family-focused. When you look through the, the story of redemption in the book, you find that God deals with families. I mean, the family was his idea, right? And, and throughout the, the Old Testament and the New Testament, there are instructions for parents to, you know, teach this truth to your kids. Tell them who I am. Challenge them to know me and love me and trust me. That is the heart of God, and that should be the heart of a church. Because families are critically important. In our culture in particular, families are under fire. You know, years ago when um, God called me and, and Chris to, to begin a new church, we talked a lot about this idea, well, what kind of church is God calling us to, to have? And we realized that, you know, two of the biggest challenges in our lives were being married to each other and being parents. And that's true for so many people. So we want a place where people can come and get practical instruction. And, and even for people who are single to know that this is still a family-focused church. Because if you have strong families, you have a strong what? You have a strong church. And in the book of Ephesians, there's very specific information about marriage and parenting that we'll get to in just a few weeks. Now here's the, the last thing. We want to be kingdom-minded. Kingdom-minded. There is a clash right now on this planet between two kingdoms the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And the darker this world gets, the more brightly the kingdom of light shines. That's our kingdom because we follow a king. We serve at the pleasure of our king and God wants us to advance his kingdom here in Palm Beach County but around the world. And we'll be talking a lot about what that looks like in the weeks ahead. But let me just do this um, to, uh, to bring things to conclusion. Um, what are the practical implications of this thing about identity? Just real quickly, and these are going to be on your outline. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a new family. You have a new family. And church, I think about this a lot. And part of it's because God's given me the, the opportunity, the privilege of traveling to other nations. You know, even this morning as we gather for worship, do you realize this is happening around the world? There are Christians getting together everywhere, in all kinds of places, to, to learn what the Bible says, to sing songs, to praise Jesus. You have a really, really big family. And you know, whenever I travel to other countries, I, I meet people for the very first time, and it's like, we're old friends. Why is that? Because we're brothers, because we're sisters, because the Holy Spirit lives in us, we're connected. You have a really big family. Um, which is why the song says that, you know, Jesus is going to need to build a really big, big house with a big, big yard. <laughs> we have a big, big family. But it's good to know that you have a big new family when you're a follower of Christ. Here's something else. Um, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a new record. And I just, I never get over the fact that because of what Jesus has done for me that I have a new record. Because if you think about it, so often our identity is based on what? Our failures, right? Our regrets, feeling shame, saying, oh man, here's the thing. If you're a Christian, got a new record. Whose record do you have, by the way? Yeah. I mean, can you, can you imagine? Jesus has given you his perfect record of obedience. When God looks at you, it's as if you have never, ever sinned. That's who you are. That's your new identity. And I think about that. That's true of us as a church.
That's our identity. And finally, and lastly, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a new potential. And we talked about that this morning. And that potential is not just for you as an individual, it's for us as a church. You know, when we get to chapter 3 in Ephesians, we're going to read this, this amazing verse. It says that God is able to do more than we can ask or imagine because of his mighty power that works in us. Question is, do you really believe that?